Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Life in Balance podcast, where we hold space for each other in a crazy world, sharing our ideas on how to find balance in one's life through yoga and all that comes with it. Today, I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Nicole, and we are very excited to introduce you to our guest, April Rinney. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Hello. Hi, April. Just a little bit of a background on April. April Rinney is a change navigator. She is a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader and ranked as one of the 50 leading female futurists in the world by Forbes. As a change navigator, she helps individuals and organizations rethink and reshape their relationship with change, uncertainty, and a world in flux. She is a trusted advisor to well-known startups, companies, financial institutions, nonprofits, and think tanks worldwide, including Airbnb, Nike, and the World Bank, just to name a few, as well as governments ranging from Singapore to South Africa, Canada to Colombia, Italy to India. April is also the author of Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change, coming out this August. We are so excited to have you here, April. Thank you so much for joining us on Life in Balance. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. We really have so many things that we could ask you right off the bat, but what I thought we'd do is start off with a, hearing a little bit about your story, however that looks to you. Yeah, so so really happy to be here. Thank you again for, for the warm welcome and um, this opportunity to share more together. So it's interesting. My story, I mean, if I go way back, I think, my story has been framed by a few different themes. Um, one being a lot of global diversity and an appreciation for what's different um, about us, and that you know, diversity is our strength, um, and that there's far more that we share in common as humans than that which separates us. And um, both my parents were educators, so I grew up in a household without a lot of physical stuff. Um, but with a love of learning and a love of um, travel and a love of sort of a curiosity of the world and what was beyond us. And so early on, I developed an interest in just global everything and ended up having a career focused in large part on global development and how do we build a more inclusive world when we look at that in terms of business, in terms of humanity, in terms of policy, and so on and so forth. And um, along the way, I picked up, you know, degrees in law and finance and those sorts of things. But it's always been this real quest for what makes us human. And along the way, this whole theme of change and a world in flux and how we deal with change, um, it just, it started fascinating me in a few different ways. Um, And this, you know, has been the better part of coming up on three decades, I think. But, um, you know, in my role as a futurist today, I'm helping organizations try to figure out what's on the horizon. What does the future look like? And not in a, we have to predict and control and, and, and make it all fit into a box, but like, where are we heading as humanity? And I've found that, you know, every single organization struggles with change, <laughs> every single one. <laughs> and then if I go back further in my life, um, all the work that I've done globally, I found that, you know, globally, every single culture struggles with change. Now, what's cool is every single culture um, through time immemorial, you know, throughout human history, we've all 
had to grapple with change. And there's no like one solution or one way of dealing with it. But every single culture has developed different ways of looking at change and seeing it and explaining it and relating to it and all of that. And so that's just really fascinated me and sort of added this layer into everything that I do. And then, you know, back to the whole just human piece, I always like to mention, um, and I know I'm, I'm sort of throwing a little bit of a hand grenade into this conversation fairly <laughs> early, but I know it's going to come up again and I want to put it out there because for me, it's sort of, it, it's really an essential part of my story, um, but also how I ended up doing what I do today. And that is that when I was um, 20, so I was in college, and I mentioned my parents were educators and so forth, and um, really had a formative impact on my life. When I was 20, both of my parents died in a car accident. And, you know, in that moment, like my whole life and my future, like whatever I thought it was going to be, it just changed. It just melted, right? And, and like I was the epitome of flux. And so, um, you know, that was a long time ago, and I, I love talking about what I've learned since then, but it, th that was really my entry into understanding how we relate to change and realizing that not only myself and my own growth journey, but every single individual on the planet struggles with change. And now I think with 2020, I no longer have to explain like, hey, the world is in flux. Everyone's like, hey, you just explained my life. But what I love is that go back before that and go back to where we are now with some parts of the world reopening, other places still very much mired in the pandemic. And like, there's just as much flux right now as there was a year ago, it just looks different. And a year from now, there's going to be just as much and it's still going to look different. But again, it's interesting, like humans, we love change that we opt into, like that's not a problem. The change that surprises us, the change that knocks us sideways, the changes that we don't want, how do we get better at, at relating to those? And I don't want to say just dealing with them because dealing is a sort of like tactical, practical thing, like how do we lean into change? And so um, I know I've, I've kind of foreshadowed some other stuff we might talk about, but also just my story and how it revolves around this concept of change and flux. And that's just my story. I mean, each one of us has our own story to tell about this theme. But, um, you know, that gives you a little bit about what I do and kind of how I see the world and, and how I ended up here with you today. I love that. I One of the things that I first, when I first came across your work was through your TED Talk, the How to Navigate Our Uncertain Future. And it was interesting because it was posted in, you know, November 2019, pre-pandemic. And I thought, oh gosh, is April basically preparing us for <laughs> the global yeah. pandemic? Is that what's happening? But, you know, one of the things that we talk about this on our podcast a lot, this idea of change being inevitable, being really the only constant, and yet we have such a challenging relationship. And I love how you spoke to the difference between change that we choose versus change that was unexpected. And there really is a very different experience with change that is unexpected. And that's, it seems like those instances are, of change are really the ones that throw us off balance, so to speak, that kind of make our, our head spin or have us lose all of our footing. And, you know, we've talked about this in, in previous episodes because it is so 
so front and center for most of the world right now going through the pandemic. But this idea that, you know, the more that we can start to let go of expectations, the more that we can navigate change through relationship, like you said, rather than through control, it seems like that is very much a way to help find our balance or help recalibrate amidst the change. And so I'd love to hear from you, you know, when you think about a life in balance, because we can hold these two things together, right? We can hold change is inevitable. We have to get better at, or for us to thrive in a changing world, you know, what are, what are some of the things we can relate to? And we also seek balance. We also seek harmony. We also seek, uh, you know, a feeling of, of being in control or being stable. So, you know, for you, when you think about a life in balance, you know, what comes to mind? What comes up for you? Yeah, well, such a great entry. Um, And I don't want to make this too much about the book, but at the same time, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be so fun because (laughs) there's bits like these eight superpowers. Each and every one actually relates to balance in some way, but in a different way. So I'll come back to that in a minute. But I did just want to pick up on what you said about, um, you know, the different kinds of change. And I think for me, understanding our, our complicated, complex, multifaceted relationship with change is really, it's, it's one of the greatest gifts I think we have that many of us, and, you know, myself included for much of my life, didn't really explore that much. And not just that, it, you know, change that we, change that we love, change that we welcome, change that we opt into, like, that's easy. That's a joy. That's like the greatest part of life, honestly. But the changes, when we think about a world in flux, you know, most of that, the stuff that we grapple with is the stuff that we didn't want, we didn't expect. It's unwelcome. Another way I love um, to, that I've heard people put it, which is a little bit different, but I'll, I'll put it out there because it, it tends to resonate, is that um, we tend to love change, the noun. We, we tend to love we love change, but we hate being changed. So we love the noun, we hate the verb, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. oh, right. And also, though, like a, one change that's easy for me might be really difficult for you and vice versa. Like mm-hmm. there's not one cookie, there's not one kind of change that everyone gets and another one that we don't get. Like it's it's fascinating because each of us has what I call a kind of script, which is the narrative by which we live our life and that includes our expectations and our assumptions and it's a lot of what we were taught growing up and throughout life but it starts young right and so if you work hard things will go to plan if you prepare you will you know like if you study hard you'll 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 get into a good college you'll get a good job you'll you know it's like all of these constructs that we have about how the world works and a world in flux or, you know, a lot of what we've seen in the last 18 months, you know, challenges a lot of that. But then you realize, my goodness, the what we've been taught, and I don't want to bash any particular, it's not about any one culture or one place or one way of thinking, not at all. It affects us all in different ways. But like a lot of what we've been taught doesn't actually work. <laughs> and so part of what I'm helping people do and part of what makes me really excited is what I call kind of learning how to write a new script that is fit for a world in flux. Not writing a script for a world that assumes we can command, control, predict, and predict it. So um, anyway, I know I've just distracted, detracted a little bit um, from the question of what is a life in balance, where does that come from? 
Um, but but did want to add that color and context because I think it's just it's fascinating to me when we start exploring our relationship with change how little we actually do of that in general and and the last year has been a wake-up call that we need to pay more attention to it but to me I look at it like oh my goodness we're just now collectively starting to peel back the layers of this onion and have a lot to discover and a lot to benefit from doing so um so when I think about a, a life in balance, um, and it's funny, so I have these eight superpowers in the book, and the eight superpowers are really the how-to, like thrive and constant change. What are the, the, the superpowers, the strengths, the muscles we need to develop um, to be able to navigate change um, and to see change, all change, good or bad, loved or hated, consistently as an opportunity rather than a threat? as something to be leaned into and embraced, even if you didn't welcome it, rather than feared, resisted, you know, gonna try to avoid it. And a couple of the superpowers come to mind immediately, and I would say this even if I hadn't the, written the book about it, but like this, this sense of imbalance. When I hear imbalance, I think, um, I think of not too much and not too little. And one of the superpowers is this whole, it's about the concept of enough. And that right now, and, and here I'll, I'll riff a little bit, but societally, I think we are so much, so, so many of us, and again, myself included for much of my life, we're on this quest for more. We're on this quest for like more power, more prestige, more money, more likes, more love, more followers, more whatever. And society has ingrained it in us that we need more. And that implied in that is that we will never be enough until we have more. <laughs> And one of the concepts I've been, I've been digging into for quite some time is this concept of enough and sort of sufficiency and, and harmony and, um, and balance and fairness. And, you know, enough is not too much and not too little. More than enough is, you know, greed, it's excess, it's all these other things. Less than enough is, you know, is scarcity, is hardship, is not helpful either. But a life in balance, to me, a lot of it, it does, it revolves around this notion of enough. And that is both, you know, are you getting enough sleep each night? Are you spending enough time with humans and not too much time with technology? Are you running at a pace or walking at a pace that is fast enough, but not too fast, not too slow to be stalling? Um, you know, it has all these different I, I sort of like this concept of enough because you can you can take it you can zoom in or zoom out at any level of ab abstraction, but to me a life in balance is really about having enough, but not more than that, not less than that. And I think you know it, it aligns quite well with yin and yang and um, a lot of spiritual concepts as well that ultimately are about harmony and balance. Um, but I love. Um, riffing. So the superpower in the book is called Know You're Enough. And sometimes people are like, wait, that's a typo. Is it Know You Are Enough? And I'm like, <laughs> it actually includes that. But I'm very, being very specific, you're enough. Like, what is your enough? Um, and it's different for everyone. And I'm not, I'm not trying to prescript anything for anyone. But we are so hell-bent right now on more. And what I find is it's mostly making us miserable. Um, and it's burning up the planet and all this other stuff. But you know, if we can recalibrate from a more mindset to an enough mindset, I think we get much closer to a life in balance 
But we also find it, and Steph, you had mentioned something along these lines earlier about letting go. We also find that it can be quite freeing Mm -hmm. because the way I like to phrase it is if you are always on a quest for more, you will find it extremely difficult, if not impossible, to find enough, to ever have enough or be enough. But if you start from the perspective of enough, you will begin to see abundance all around you. It's, I just, I, I keep thinking as you're speaking, April, like you are speaking our language. <laughs> we are speaking <laughs> yours. I just like, I'm in my mind going, yes, yes, yes. Mm. This is so, so interesting. So inspirational. I mean, I, I had had the, uh, the opportunity to uh, attend one of your online sessions recently and I had asked the question about self-awareness and I really think this is interesting and it ties in a lot of what we're, what we're speaking about today, talking about life and balance. Again, this whole concept of life and balance for Nicole and I comes from a place of we both are yoga teachers, we have started our yoga journey for lots of different reasons. I think many of us start our yoga journeys, however big or small, often in uh, in relation to either change that has been prescribed to us and we're looking for some answers or looking for a change. And actually, interestingly enough, Nicole and I come from both of those different categories. But just to go back a second about what I mentioned about self-awareness and the question that I had asked you uh, in the past, April, in order to really drop in to ourselves and understand what our enough is, for example, or how to really navigate a world in flux as, you know, quote unquote, best as possible for ourselves as individuals, we have to have a certain level of self-awareness, I would imagine. If you had, you know, you go into all of these institutions, all of these different companies, and I'm sure you come across individuals who are maybe a bit skeptical or maybe a bit confused or perhaps not necessarily self-aware enough to really understand what it is you're trying to share with them. What would you say to one of, to somebody who really is a bit confused about your, um, you know, your approach to change or if, and on the kind of backside of that, if you have somebody who really feels like they, they understand change, they, they get change and they, are mastering change, but probably aren't because none of us are. You know, what would you say to that person? Um, what kind of advice would you give them? Oh, what a great question. So um, let me zoom out briefly just because these pieces are going to connect. Um, and it, it, it's interesting. So it didn't come up in the intro, but um, I too, probably not surprisingly, uh, got my yoga teacher certification um, some time ago. I was very, very late to yoga. Um, I had tried it, I think, ten, I'd taken probably one class at 10 different studios over the years, and people had told me that how to change their life, and I would go on the mat, and I was like, I just don't get it. <laughs> it's just not speaking to me. And then about seven years ago, um, found myself on a mat, I think, with the right teacher, the right course, the right time in life and it was just like a wellspring cracked open and began peeling back the layers of that not just the physical practice obviously as I know you guys know but you know the spiritual practice and the um, you know yoga as union and and all of the different cultural traditions that have played a role in yoga's history and so I bring this up because 
I am given my role right now and it's also shows up in the book and whatnot like I am seen as a lot a lot of times a bridge builder or a cross-pollinator I'm bringing ideas from one place into a very different kind of setting a very different culture a very different kind of organization and sometimes people call me a sort of insider outsider because I'm I'm invited into organizations but I'm not of the organization I'm I'm asked to bring outside perspective I'm asked to shake things up I'm asked to help organizations get out of their siloed thinking, which is something I just love. But what's interesting is, you know, oftentimes I'm told, you know, if I'm in, if I'm in a business setting, like bringing yoga philosophy is sort of woo-woo. Now I do it. I just don't say the word yoga. They don't know, but I wedge that door open and it's exactly related to what you're talking about around self-awareness and whatnot. But it's fascinating because what I find and when it comes to advice that I might give, I'm often trying to wrangle very different cultures, settings, contexts together to see something differently. And so if I go into an organization and there's a kind of resistance or like this isn't going to work for our company, sometimes what I do and, and a lot of what I'm after, you know, even with the book, the book is technically, you know, it is there's a piece that's very much written for a business audience around leadership and teamwork and collaboration and the future of work and all of that. But the key that I like to bring up is our relationship to change has to come from the inside out. And so if you're focused on professional development and how you're going to execute in the business world and you're not clear on what's on your relationship to change inside, you are constantly going to be putting the cart before the horse. That we have, you know, and this is more in a business setting, change management strategies. We try to invest in uncertainty. We have all of these strategic initiatives, which is all external to us. And if so, so long as we're chasing after those external metrics and things we must do, but haven't given thought to what grounds us and roots us and makes us us, regardless of whatever else changes, we're constantly going to be on a futile quest to do something externally and have lack of clarity internally. So I bring this up because a lot of times my conversations, I start there and they might say I'm a little bit woo-woo, but I also will ask, hey, when you develop strategic initiative XYZ, did you pause to think about what is the perspective you're bringing to this? Have you thought about your relationship to change, which filters and frames and drives everything else? And they're like, uh, no. <laughs> and so it gives me an opening. The other thing that I'll bring up, though, is that even if it's a professional setting, if I can't, and I don't want to say that I can't get through to people, that sounds, that's not quite right. But if there's just a sort of like, it's not there. Oftentimes, and this has happened even beyond my work in change, um, I've done a fair amount of work on like new business models and innovation and that sort of thing, that, or just take the future of work, where someone's like, listen, I feel comfortable in my career, I know what's up, I'm good, and I sort of say, well, what about your kids? Like, think about the future of work that they're going to face. Do you think they're ready, or would you be able to give them advice, given what I've just told you about the future of work? And they're like, no, <laughs> I would not know what to tell my kids. So you make it personal and you make it personal, not about them, but something they have a personal vested interest in, like their children. And that ends up being a really nice icebreaker, a way that's not, that allows them to sort of take a side approach to the issue 
or to see it through someone else's eyes. And in that, I find that almost always there is a learning or a rethinking of their own mindset situation, whatever it may be. But I haven't necessarily personalized it in a way that makes guardrails go up or that makes, you know, defenses go up. And so that's where it's not so much the advice. It is advice I would give them. It's more how do I guide people to get to understand their relationship to change better? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's directly speaking with them. Sometimes it's, it's talking about something or someone that they care about, but that doesn't feel quite so, um, you know, direct, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. But I couldn't agree more. I mean, the self-awareness is, it's at the core of everything. And I think, you know, even going back to what I was saying about knowing you're enough and so on and so forth, we're on this quest for more, but think about where does that come from? It comes from out society. It comes from outside. It comes from something that others have told us is important. It hasn't, by and large, what I find, I don't find a lot of people who of their own accord find out, like, I really just, I want more because more is better. It's some kind of messaging and socialization we've, re- we've received from outside. And it doesn't actually do us a lot of good when we start thinking about it from our own individual well-being. Um, so I put that out there because just, you know, whose rules are we following? Whose expectations? Whose assumptions? Are they ones that we set for ourselves? Or are they ones that others set for us to follow? And I don't mean to be saying that, you know, meeting others' expectations isn't helpful. It, it, it is, often is sometimes but we need to make sure that we actually agree with those expectations and where they came from and whether they're actually healthy individually, collectively, organizationally, and so on. So it, it really sounds like there's a very high degree of self-inquiry that's required to have a meaningful exploration about our individual relationship with change so that we can find the best way through or forward or you know, navigating it for us, because like you said, you know, there are all these constructs and ideas about how we should do things or what's the strategy or the tactic or, you know, what are, what are the doing things without actually taking a moment to think about, yeah, how are we being in that experience and what do we, if we could choose or if we could have our, our best relationship you know, to, to use that analogy, you know, what are the ways that we would show up for that? And so, you know, what I'm hearing as we're talking about developing that self-awareness or at least having self-awareness when we're talking about finding our own um, level of enoughness or or the own pace that we have, you know, to, to work through change or navigate change, really what we're talking about is that there's, there has to be an inner listening before we listen to all the outer opinions or or voices or ideas or strategies and you know correct me if i'm wrong but but i'm wondering you know that capacity to hear your inner voice it sounds like probably in a in a business setting maybe there might be a little bit of resistance depending on your audience but if we kind of take that step back and make it personal you know make it about you know someone being able to think about it in the context of their family or their children or thinking about it in the context of of how they want to thrive in their life you know for you how much does listening to that inner voice play into the ways in which you navigate through change and would you say that that's kind of uh, a part of of navigating change for for people individually yeah oh goodness this is so great and 
Um, and I'm realizing I didn't I didn't fully answer the question the second half of your last question either. Oh, don't. So I'll, but I'll fold it in here. It's great. I'll fold it in because it all relates. And I have to just real quick before I go back in time. I'm so excited about this moment in time. As hard as the last 15, 18 months have been, I do feel like we have cracked something open um, collectively in which, you know, and a lot of people are calling 2021 the big reset, right? Um, we're reopening, we're, we're looking back, looking forward, but this sense of like, how do you want to show up in the world moving forward? And I think there are a lot of people who are saying, my goodness, we have so over-indexed, so to speak, on what we do at the cost of who we are. And I mean, I think we see this a lot in the work workplace where you have people saying, my God, I spent so many years fitting my life around my work. I need to do a better job of fitting my work around my life. I need to find, you know, and, and that requires introspection. That requires a level of self-awareness, not just of the professional self, but of the whole human self. And so back to my inner voice, I mean, what's interesting and not to make too big of a deal about what happened to me when I was 20, but it does factor in here. So I like to say, so when I was 20, lost my parents, everything just melted and changed. And like, it was like a, a clean slate, so to speak, in that all of a sudden I had to be self-sufficient. I had to take care of myself. At the same time, I didn't have anybody telling me what I could or couldn't do. <laughs> so if I could find a way to do something, I could go ahead and do it. Um, but, it, but, but it was all up to me. And at the same time though, I, so when my parents died, I had never been to a funeral. My first funeral was theirs. Um, I had never lost, my grandparents were living. I had never lost a pet. I had never, like, I, I did not know death. And going through that experience at that age where I was, you know, I was old enough that I was, I was at college, I was able to take care of myself day to day, but young enough that I really didn't know how the world worked or I didn't, I hadn't mapped out my career or anything like that. It, it was fascinating because it forced me to ask a lot of questions that I think, and you know, no, no knock against those 20 year olds, I would have loved to have not had to go through what I went through but it did force me to ask a lot of questions that shaped my life in a much different way, I think, than would have been the case if my parents had lived and I had sort of followed their expectations and so on and so forth. But it also had this effect of, um, because I didn't know death, I, I developed this kind of rational yet irrational fear that I didn't have long to live. And I was pretty sure that I didn't, didn't have more than a year. And so it led me to say, you know, if, I were to die tomorrow, what would the world need me to do today? And that became a kind of framing question for me, but even at the age of 20. So I can assure you, it meant that I did not think that if I were to die tomorrow, that what I needed to do was climb a corporate ladder. I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it did not lead me to say, well, I need to make as much money as I possibly can. No. I mean, money, I need enough. Again, I need enough to take care of myself. But more than that, doesn't seem to, I don't think it's going to do me that. I don't think it's going to do me much good. So this, and you know, I would not have been able to say that was my inner voice back then, but it very much was just that sense of, I don't want to say what is right. What is right for me? What is right for humanity? And I was driven very much, and this is, this is thanks to my parents, 
I was driven much more around how can I best serve others as opposed to how can I get the most for me. Um, and so that inner voice was really, really strong. And I will admit, and this is another of the superpowers, which is more about trust, but like trusting your inner voice is really hard. And at least it was for me. And it comes through trial and error. What I think was fascinating in my case, no longer having the parental sounding boards, I did have other people who were like my extended family of choice and people that, that over the years came to play roles like my parents, but they weren't my parents. Um, they aren't my parents. Um, it, it, it really, I had to kind of walk through the fire of learning to trust my inner voice. So it's fascinating because I, I share this, I think trusting your inner voice is hard for a lot of people with or without parents, with or without colleagues, with or, you know, it, it's just there. But, but once you learn to do it and once, I think what's interesting to me is as far as I can tell, our inner voices and our innate wisdom as humans is so powerful, so good, so spot on. And yet what we've done largely to it is we've sort of buried it and covered it by, again, these societal expectations. I think um, consumer mass marketing, uh, hyper consumer culture that just tells us to buy stuff has done a marvelous job also burying this wisdom that we all have. And so part of what I'm really interested in doing, and maybe we can head in this direction, I don't know, but like this inner wisdom, this inner agency, this inner voice that we all have, um, it's been silenced for a really long time. And I think that we're starting to scratch away the stuff that's been burying it for a long time. And that makes me so excited because I think Yes, it requires effort, but it's actually much closer at hand than I think a lot of people realize. It's almost as though we assume we have to go learn something new. It's like, no, no, you've actually always had this. You've, ne you've, you've always had it. It cannot be taken from you. But what we've done, we've got to kind of uncover and, and unbury it and let that voice begin to speak. So, um, you know... I learned to, to listen to my inner voice largely, you know, partly it was through tragedy, um, partly it was through just relentless curiosity. And I did have, you know, again, if we're going to see, try to see change as an opportunity, not a threat. I mean, my parents' deaths were hard. They were also the biggest opportunity for growth I was ever, and to this day, that I've ever been dealt. And so I was given this opportunity to really learn to listen to it and trust it more. Um, it is a lifelong process. I think I'm still learning <laughs> how to listen and trust to it most, most effectively. Um, but that's what, that's what started it. But then again, what's, it's just so interesting that we all, it's practice. You just practice and the more you learn to trust your inner voice, the more you realize it can be trusted. And the more, you know, it's, it's like it becomes this virtuous cycle, but it does require us surfacing this voice to begin with. Thank you so much for, for sharing that and for sharing your story. You know, I think so many of us, um, you know, have probably similar, not similar stories, but similar feelings, maybe a different events or something else that has arisen in our life that, you know, have awoken us and some maybe mm -hmm. haven't. 
Um, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I'm sure that was, you know, I can't even, I can't imagine. And, and I wanted to thank you for that. Um, one of the things that we, that we talk about a lot on our, on our podcast and on our yoga retreat that we, that we do annually in a non-COVID uh, world is um, we, we kind of have a sort of catchphrase to say there is no finish line. And <laughs> we use that and we refer to it, you know, time and time again, because we certainly aren't sitting here just as you're not sitting here saying once you've gone through these steps you will have arrived at being the change master or once you have gone through these steps you will understand exactly what your life's purpose is and I think that's something that's just so helpful and I feel and I think um, Nicole would, would echo this as well it feels really motivating actually to be told you're never, you know, you're not going to arrive at this place where all of a sudden you have all the answers. The fun is in the journey. The interest and the curiosity that we, you know, establish along the way is where all the good, juicy stuff lives. Um, and what I would be really interested, we've talked a lot about sort of where this whole, um, you know, I would say, uh, like life's work comes from. And we've talked about your past and the situations that you found yourself in, I'd be really interested to, to hear from you if you could give your younger self some advice on how best to navigate change. What would you have told yourself? Yeah, it's just, you really nailed it, I have to say. Um, this sense of the, I like to say that, you know, or, or we're running or walking or whatever, you know, a sort of marathon with change, but the finish line keeps shifting. Mm -hmm. And it's never going to get there. And I think what's hard is that a lot of people, and again, myself included, like, you sort of want this, like, one and done. Like, just tell me I've made it. Tell me I'm there. And then I can relax and not worry about it anymore. And I think that's just not the way the world works and and it's actually far less interesting um and we can here talk about the journey not the destination this that and the other but i think you know one of the things that i would um tell my younger self and this is i didn't dive too much into it but you know with and it wasn't just about my parents deaths or anything um i've struggled a lot with anxiety my entire life and just this, this anxious and stuff, like, I'm not going to get there. <laughs> I'm not going to make the finish line. I'm not going to be enough or have more, whatever. Um, one of the biggest pieces of advice I wish I could have given my younger self is just simply to worry less about the worrying. <laughs> and I was stuck. And I know that not everyone grapples with anxiety, um, but I do. I've been reading up on a lot of stats over the last couple of years. And you know, there are a lot of people who think that anxiety is a kind of unwritten societal epidemic, um, particularly among young people. There's just, it's, and again, it is related to change in that more change, faster pace of change, how do we deal with it? What do we do? Like anxiety isn't, um, it's not as uncommon, I think, as we may wish to believe. And this notion of um, worry less about the worry, I would I had this incredible ability to just worry about anything and everything and, and, you know, a lot of it being, am I ever going to quote unquote be enough, um, or make it. And even on the very best of days, <laughs> I can remember I would worry, 
if I had nothing to worry about, I would worry about the fact that there was nothing to worry about because certainly <laughs> the next the, the other shoe was going to drop any moment. And I think that that's one of those things that relates to what you had mentioned earlier about letting go. Um, it relates to also be- understanding that you are enough right now without ever doing anything further and that you've always been enough from the moment you arrived in this world. Um, you know, this notion of worry less about the worrying I wish my younger self had understood the intensity of the grip that anxiety had on me and could have let go of that a little bit earlier. Um, I think I definitely wish my younger self had also known that I am and you are enough just as we are. Just like there's nothing we need to complete us, Um, whether it's something we can buy, whether it's love someone else can give us. We are enough. Just just as humans and whatever we bring to the world is what you know includes our greatest gifts um so those are two you know those things continue well and i guess the third would be this ability to let go um and not of everything obviously but the way that i like to phrase it um in my book like we we often talk about letting go of the past Um, We sometimes talk about letting go of something in the present, but we very rarely talk about letting go of the future. And I realize that sounds kind of like scary or like, wait a minute, we're giving up? That's not what I mean at all. When I talk about like, I wish I had understood what it would mean to let go of the future, letting go of the future in order for a better future to emerge, letting, getting out of our own way so that we actually can breathe life into new ideas. Um, I wish that my younger self had, and it's not that it needed to do something. I wish my younger self had been told about the power of the ability to let go. I wish that I had been able to practice. You know, I was forced to let go of some stuff, but the proactive ability to let go of things because you know you need to grow and evolve, that is like the super, superpower, I think. Um, And I wish my younger self had had a glimmer of that, had had a taste of that, and um, could carry it forward. Those are wonderful bits of wisdom that I'm sure your younger self would have loved to receive, but also myself, I'll speak for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, what a relief to hear that. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> you know, like it, it, and I think it's so important that we... Because I think, you know, just as we're kind of wrapping up, I think there's this idea sometimes that as adults that we have to have it figured out by now or we have to, you know, that that desire to arrive, the desire to tick the box, the desire to, you know, have more, do more, be more. Um, and really, if we can just kind of like settle into uh, our innate worthiness that we are already enough and and to not worry about worrying is, is something that I really relate to. And I've been working on myself as well. Um, so thank you for sharing that wisdom. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating. And I'll add like a little footnote here. I think we often, we often learn these lessons when we're forced to. When our back is up against a wall. When something really bad happens. And like all of a sudden we can't avoid it 
anymore, right? It's just like, whoa. And this last year, I think, has provided ample example of that. Like, we're really good at adapting when we're forced to, <laughs> when we're like, oh my goodness, there is no choice. The harder part and the more exciting part, and I think the more helpful part, is to learn how to do these things during times of, I don't want to call it calm or peace or no change. I don't know that there are such times. But when there is this moment where we can breathe, and I think that, you know, as we, at least in North America, and I think gradually elsewhere in the world, this sense of like, ooh, okay, it's been a really rough year. We're now entering this new era, new chapter in our book of life. We're trying to redefine it. We're trying to show up differently. But we do have a little bit more oxygen to breathe. Um, this is the time to do that work not when your back's against the wall. And so I look at even this conversation where I'm like, the timing, it's just, it's so, to me, feels so ripe because this is also, it's the moment where people are like, oh, it's been a rough year. I just kind of want to forget about it. Hmm. And you want to say, no, 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 no. This is actually such an incredible moment in time where memories are still fresh. We understand the fears and the worries and the anxieties, but like, we can breathe a little bit more easily. Look at the opening we've just created for ourselves to do things a little bit better, to get a little closer to enough, to worry a little bit less, you know? And so um, I just sort of, I like that as a kind of wrapper because I'm so excited for where we are right now. I mean, and that's not to discount the, the difficulties that we've had and that we will continue to have. And the fact that, another side note, I actually think, this last year was kind of like a warm-up for some of the bigger kind of meta flux that we have on the horizon, whether that's automation, whether that's climate. I mean, we have some really big things that this was the flux I was talking about and that was in my talk before lockdown or the pandemic. All of that is still there. <laughs> we, we now get to return to that. And so, um, you know, I just, I feel like I just get so excited because yes, we have big challenges. But my goodness, we are starting to tap into something that has um, long been neglected and now has more potential to help than ever before. It's so, you know, inspirational, motivational, and all of the Asian words I can think <laughs> of right now to hear you coming at this from such a positive insightful and really reassuring place and we really really appreciate you coming in and sharing this space with us today it has been an absolute pleasure um, getting to know you and to hearing all about your work and and you and everything that you're doing to obviously make this world and all of us in it you know just a little bit better for lack of a better word I'd be really, you know, for all of our listeners here who would be interested in learning more about you and, uh, you know, maybe interested, hopefully, in, in getting their hands on your book that's coming out this August, how would the, what would be the best way for someone to connect with you or to reach out and learn more about your work? Yeah. So if you want to know more about Flux and the book, um, the website is fluxmindset.com. 
so pretty easy and uh, we didn't I, I've developed this concept of the flux mindset and then also the flux superpowers so it all fits together um, and then if you want to learn more that's the best place to go for all of this other stuff you can learn more about me also at aprilrenee.com um, I'm very easy to Google. No one else has my name as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and uh, I'm very open. You know, my email's out there, april at aprilrini.com. I'm, I'm sort of happy to um, to correspond and happy to answer questions and, and hope this has been um, yeah helpful to everyone who's listening. So thank you. Yeah, it's been so helpful for me. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I know it's going to resonate a lot with our listeners because, yeah, this is right on topic with with the kinds of conversations that Steph and I have been having over the past year. And um, so thank you so much for, for being part of it. And I'll make sure that we include those links um, in the show notes so people can can find you. Perfect. Thank you um, so much for joining yes, us. This is lovely. Just thank you. Thank you. Like, I feel like just a wash in gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks, well, thanks for everyone listening. for tuning in. <laughs> All together now. <laughs> thanks, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> All right, until next time. Bye. Bye.